you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show and happy Monday. We've got to say it because it is Monday. It's tough to make it happy, right? So much of the week still ahead. And I don't know what it's like where you are, but here in Connecticut, it's like 16 degrees and has been for days very hard to go outside. So it's a good day to stay inside together and listen to the news. And let's do that. There's a lot to get to today. The big news over the weekend, the 2024 GOP presidential primary is officially now a two-person race, sort of. <laughs> Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announcing yesterday afternoon he's out. He is officially out of this race, endorsing former President Donald Trump. Mr. Trump, in a change of tone, saying he is officially retiring the name sanctimonious, ah, ah, group hug. <laughs> but what effect will any of this have in New Hampshire? Uh, the primary state, Nikki Haley, is hoping to upset Donald Trump in. We find out tomorrow. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Joining us now to discuss all the news, the EJs are back. Emily Jashinsky, who is the culture editor for The Federalist and host of The Federalist Radio Hour, and Eliana Johnson, who is editor of The Washington Free Beacon and co-host of the podcast Ink Stained Wretches and was, of course, my co-moderator in the last GOP debate, the last one that involved Vivek and Christy and Nikki and Ron. Welcome back to the show. So on that note, Eliana, I'll start with you. I wouldn't say Ron DeSantis had much more momentum at that debate on December 6th than he did the day he dropped out. But after Iowa, it didn't seem much of a mystery that there was no path for him. He said he earned his ticket out of Iowa. There really was no ticket to be earned with a 30-point second place deficit. And um, I think he did the right thing. I don't, I don't see any point in him having stayed longer than this. What do you think? I agree with you, Megan. And I thought that his video statement that he put out on Twitter over the weekend was dignified. And, um, you know, he ran as long as he could, uh, longer probably than many people 
uh, thought he would stay in the race. But look, the results in Iowa, DeSantis, uh, DeSantis's results, if you add his together with Nikki Haley's, they still didn't add up to Trump's. And well, I think it's good that Republican voters got a choice. They didn't, they showed that they didn't actually want this choice. Uh, Trump won every county in Iowa minus one, and that one county went to Nikki Haley by a single vote. But DeSantis's campaign was premised on winning Iowa. And when he came out of Iowa without winning a single county, I think it showed it was time for him to get out of the race. Then he did so. He took a little shot at Trump in that video statement saying that he has differences with Trump on elevating Anthony Fauci and on COVID. So he took one shot at Trump and he took another shot at Nikki Haley by endorsing Trump before the New Hampshire primary. I think his voters are likely to go to Trump um, tomorrow night in New Hampshire. And um, but overall, that video was about five minutes long, was quite a dignified exit from the race. Let me show that uh, in part to the audience. I mean, it's funny we, when he said, I earned my ticket out of Iowa. All I could think, I love the talking heads. All I could think of was that song, a, 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 a ticket to where? A road to nowhere? We're on the road to nowhere. Anyway, it is a sad day. I feel bad for him. And I feel bad for all the people who really loved him and wanted him. And I myself have serious questions about whether Trump, I get it, sledgehammer, huge personality, very strong guy. Is he really the best? Is he the best? Is he the one who can take down Biden? I hope so. I've been open about that. I can't vote for a man who's in support of transing children, sterilizing them, making them infertile and unable to achieve any sexual enjoyment for the rest of their lives. Oh, sure. Let's do that to a 14 year old. That makes sense. Fucking no. Sorry. I just it's like such a hard no. Who could vote for that? Who could vote for that? Okay. anyway, I diverge. Here's a bit of Ron DeSantis in his announcement yesterday. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. Down here in Florida, we will continue to show the country how to lead. Thank you and God bless. Mm. Emily, as I watch that, I can't help. I, I don't want to kick the man, man when he's down, but I, I also can't help but be reminded of the reasons why he didn't connect. You know, it, it maybe if Ron DeSantis had thrown out the teleprompter and just done that last bit from the heart, it would have resonated more. You know, he's not it, I've spoken to him personally, like one on one, and he actually can he can be warm and he can be very funny. I would love to just hear him, just him without anybody else having interfered without a without like a teleprompter speech, just him saying, this is why I'm getting out now. He, he didn't. He didn't do it on the launch, really. He didn't do it on the exit, really. He did both on X, which is a very online thing, which his campaign was criticized for being from the start to the middle to the finish. Um, I hope the guy's got a future. I don't know. What do you make of it? 
I think actually in a weird way, it's sort of a bright day for Ron DeSantis because where he first was uh, thrust into the national spotlight was as a governor of Florida. People felt, and even by the way, non-Republicans, I mean, his approval ratings in Florida before he launched launched his presidential campaign were super high. I mean, we're talking over 50% easily. He was supported by a lot of independents, even Democrats were okay with Ron DeSantis, not all of them, but there were some who said, all right, this guy's doing a decent job in my state. So he's going back to that now kind of back to basics. And to your point, Megan, about the video, I wrote this for The Federalist this morning, but I was thinking about something a very smart consultant friend of mine who worked on one of the other uh, actually failed Republican presidential primary campaigns said about Ron DeSantis. He said, people vote differently for governor than they do for president. Uh, When you're voting for governor, you're voting pragmatically. You want someone to get things done. When you're voting for president, you tend to vote uh, inspirationally, somebody who inspires you, who moves you, who can do well in those sort of big abstract questions about the direction of the country that so often are focused on in the media circus uh, over presidential uh, politics. And so I thought when you look at Ron DeSantis, um, you know, not being in that space anymore, going back to this very innovative legislative campaign that he's leading Florida to kind of take on radicalism and in ways that, you know, people can have disagreements about at times. But if you're conservative, the thrust of what Ron DeSantis has done legislatively in some very interesting ways in Florida is good. Uh, And so I think now that he can be back in that space, the sort of laboratories of democracy on the state level where he really excels and where voters seem to respond to him because they see the results in their own state and their their own like laboratory that they exist in, kind of think that's good for Ron DeSantis and an opportunity for him to maybe rework uh, the national stuff. Maybe he can get better coaching or less coaching, to your point, and just be himself and be comfortable and, and come back in 2028. But he definitely made a classy exit yesterday. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to talk to him right now. I would love to interview him. I, I would love, I would like to go sit down across from him. You know what I mean? And just do a face-to-face I I won't prepare any questions at all. You know, like that's the kind of conversation I want to have with him now. Like, what happened? What did you learn? Could it ever, ever have been done if you had redone the launch, if you had redone your media strategy, which he was self-critical of recently saying, I should have gotten out there more. I shouldn't have just limited myself to conservative media in the beginning. Could any of it made a difference in the face of the gorilla, right? Like, it's just, how could you get around him? The criticism of, Oh, he should have been more critical of Trump. Well, how would that have worked? Ask Chris Christie. How did that work out? You know, like so many armchair quarterbacks with all their thoughts. Meantime, the gorilla uh, did have some thoughts on DeSantis bailing. It wasn't like the most full-throated endorsement that DeSantis did of Trump. You know, he kind of said, I signed the pledge to endorse, and so I will, and I'm going to endorse Donald Trump. But it was an endorsement. It counted. And it's still very soon. You know, I'm sure he's still stinging a bit from the loss. Here's what Trump said in part in response. Satri. Before we begin, I'd like to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis, a really terrific person who had gotten to know his wife, Casey, for having run a great campaign for president. He did. He ran a a really good campaign, I will tell you. It's not easy. They think it's easy doing this stuff, right? It's not easy. But as you know, he left the campaign trail today at 3 p.m. And in so doing, he was very gracious and he endorsed me. So I appreciate it. I appreciate that. And I also look forward to working with Ron and everybody else to defeat crooked Joe Biden. We will have to get him out. So I just want to thank Ron and uh, congratulate him on doing a very good job. It's a tough situation. 
It's a tough thing to do. Good for Trump. I mean, they've been slinging the mud a bit, you know, as the as the campaign got more into the voting phase. DeSantis got a little bit more pointed. Nikki Haley certainly has as well. Trump in reverse kind of has always been rough on these two. Meatball. Remember that. Um, but I do think, don't you think, Eliana, the Republican Party would love to see, even if it's not their preferred candidate, they would love to see the party come behind somebody and get on with the fight against Joe Biden, like turn all of their ire, all of their money, all of their efforts against the person with whom they really have the most ideological and other differences. That is what voters seem to be saying. And and in fact, that's what DeSantis said, where he didn't say, I think Trump is the best nominee. He said, I'm I'm hearing, I'm picking up what the voters are putting down. I'm hearing yeah. what the voters are saying, and the voters seem to want Trump. And I'm gonna listen to that and get behind Trump. Um, voters were presented with a choice. There were, you know, there were seven candidates on that first debate stage um, or more. I can't even recall now. Um, and they they represented from the left of the Republican Party, Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie, people very, very critical of Donald Trump, um, all the way to Trump fans. Um, you know, DeSantis uh, campaigned as a Trump as Trump light or as an alternative to Trump, Trump with competence. But I, I do think one of the problems of DeSantis's campaign um, was if you were going to say, Vote for Ron DeSantis because blank. You know, Nikki Haley, she her message has been pretty consistent. It's been Trump is too much chaos. Biden's too much chaos. Vote for Nikki Haley if you want to end the chaos. I don't think DeSantis was ever able to quite settle on a message that people, you know, what what was the message? And I do think maybe he wouldn't have beat Trump, but certainly he could have run a better campaign that wouldn't have left people saying, oh, man, that campaign was a disaster. There were six months about a year ago, right after he won in Florida and before the indictments came down on Trump, um, when Trump's approval ratings went up, when there was a moment for DeSantis to jump into the race and capitalize on the energy behind him. By the time he jumped in, that energy, that window had, had closed a little bit. So while I'm not sure there was room for a Trump alternative, or that voters were really looking for that. I certainly think there's room to criticize the campaign that DeSantis ran. Yes, there was some piece um, today saying um, Scott Walker can relax, Tim Pawlenty can relax, Ron DeSantis is officially taken over as having run the worst presidential campaign in history. I don't know if that's true or not, Emily. It wasn't a good one. I mean, I think we can agree on that. Um, he had an extremely competent person working for him who is now Trump's campaign manager. And she knows what she's doing. She does not like the DeSanti. That's what the Casey's and Ron's detractors call them together. Um, so he, I don't know whether he was trusting the wrong people or just making the wrong calls himself, but it seemed to be they spent a lot of money early on, so much so that they then had to outfarm most of the campaign funding to this super PAC, which was full of palace intrigue and infighting and it just didn't seem like there was ever a clear strategy on Trump. You know, we need the Trump voters so much so that we can't go after Trump. But if we never go after Trump, we're not going to win away any of the voters. And then, of course, the most influential thing of all, which was the indictments. And that that was a total game changer for everyone not named Trump. 
I went back and looked at the numbers on Real Clear Politics average over the, the last year or so, actually longer than a year, uh, the entire race last night after DeSantis announced he dropped out. And one really interesting thing is that, to Eliana's point, there is this, this uh, especially this point in time between November and around April of last year, where in the RCP average, Trump's lead over DeSantis nationally, and this is before DeSantis entered the race, is about 12 points. So that was, yeah. it actually had narrowed quite a bit during that time period. And now, you know, the gulf is massive. It's much bigger than that. But when the gulf started to widen, it's actually before DeSantis ever announced his campaign. It's exactly when the grand jury in Manhattan that Alvin Bragg convened started to weigh the charges against Donald Trump. That's where he took off. And again, that's before Ron DeSantis even even entered the race. So I don't know if we'll ever Alvin have Bragg was March. The documents case was June. Keep going. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So late March, when the announcement came that a grand jury would be re reviewing these charges, uh, that's when Trump's approval, not approval rating, but that's when Trump's support in the Republican presidential primary starts to tick up. And uh, it just kept going that way as the indictments <laughs> kept coming. And so, again, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to the question whether Ron DeSantis could have run a campaign that would have beat Donald Trump. I do think, again, to Eliana's point, that that window in time after DeSantis won re-election so powerfully in a bad year for Republicans a relatively bad year, uh, was a, a huge window because at the time he got reelected on the basis of his COVID policies. He got reelected on the basis of uh, his anti-woke policies. And then as the indictments came, people stopped wanting to you know, hear as much about that. Uh, they were really interested in the lawfare. They were really, really interested in the lawfare. And those other things sort of, I think they're still extremely important to voters in ways that the consultant class doesn't understand. Also partially why I think- they didn't know what to do with Ron DeSantis because the D.C. consultant class, especially that was on his super PAC, they don't know what to do with those policies. They don't love them themselves, so they don't know how to sell them to voters. And I think that was another problem for his campaign. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. It's actually kind of frustrating to listen to these, you know, know-it-all pundits be like, you know, the woke stuff, that's really what did him in. He, he never should have gone for that. Like that's you know, Republican voters don't respond to that and they never have. Well, what about George W. Bush? That's how he got elected <laughs> twice. Twice. It wasn't called woke back then, but he wouldn't have won reelection had it not been for his stance against gay marriage. Now, today, the Republican Party has moved past that, but they have a bunch of other issues, not to including the trans issue that I mentioned, but not not only not limited to that. They absolutely can run on abortion is in a class of its own. That's extremely dicey right now in the wake of Dobbs. But I, d I agree with you that the Republican voters, for the most part, are on the same page as Ron DeSantis when it comes to the fights that he was picking. Um, it, that's not why he didn't win. You know, when I think back on it, Eliana, you know, it was I, I had Dave Rubin on last week and it was October of 2022, right before DeSantis uh, won reelection and the Republicans did terribly in the midterms. And Trump was not exactly riding a wave that looked successful. And he had you know, he just didn't have the air, the aura of success around him. But DeSantis did that. Dave and I had this debate on whether DeSantis could do it. And he's a huge DeSantis supporter. And I said, I just don't think it's going to happen. I just I just don't think the Trump voters, because I do think an advantage I have here on this desk is I talk to the Sirius XM audience often and we take calls and I take emails from everybody. And so the, my audience, it's not all Republican. It actually is a fair amount of Democrats who are in the center as well. And I just kept hearing from everybody that, like, it's not his time. It's not his time. It's not his time. I like him, but it's not his time. Trump got screwed out of his first presidency. Now they're trying to screw him again. 
So I just knew, I just did not believe the Trump base was going to leave him. And even though DeSantis then fired up, you know, after his win and Trump fell in the midterms, it just, the Trump base, they really are too loyal. And while you, you peeled off some, some were peelable, not enough to make a difference. And then came the lawfare. And how many Republicans do you know, Eliana, who were like, that's it. I'm, I am going team Trump, even if I don't like Trump, just so I can send a message to these assholes that you can't do this to the United States. You can't do this with our DOJ, with our legal system. It was the one thing that used to be considered untouchable. And now you're corrupting even that. So that's why we're team Trump. The other effect it had uh, was of putting Trump back in the news. It was wall to wall media coverage of Trump, his travails, um, every development in these trials. And it made it really difficult for um, his challengers, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, all of the others to get coverage of their campaigns. And if you didn't if you didn't think that this is a strategy of the Democratic Party, the Democrats and the Department of Justice to put Trump back in the news, to elevate him again in the eyes of voters and to make him the Republican Party's nominee and then to tie him up in court once the general election begins, you're sorely mistaken. Um, I absolutely think that this is uh, playing out exactly the way the Democrats wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Right. They think he's the most beatable um, and he has the highest negatives of any candidate who was running on the GOP side. But I agree with what you said 100 percent about Trump in the media. He in 15, 16, he'd send out a tweet. He'd say a controversial thing. Pick your target. He was making fun of gold star families. He was attacking gold star families. <laughs> I mean, who does that? The family of fallen soldiers he was picking fights with. So it didn't matter how controversial or, or outrageous. He dominated the news. Now, contrast that with even present day. You know, he said that thing the other day, he tweeted it out or truth socialed um, about how a president should have total immunity no matter what he does. I mean, truly saying, even if it crosses lines or it's out of bounds, even if it's truly like the murdering somebody on Fifth Avenue while president, they have, should have total immunity. Now, no court has ever suggested that in any way, shape or form. And that really would be an extreme finding. He got some coverage. You know, he keeps calling Elaine Chow like, What's he calling her? Like chow chow. I know something that's not good. <laughs> Little <laughs> things like that happen every other day with Trump. They never get a mention anymore. Barely. He the outrage factor has kind of fizzled. And it's like the fighter pilot whose adrenaline no longer surges. You know, like it takes a lot, like the free solo climbers. It takes a lot to drive the adrenaline junkies, you know, blood or surge when it comes to Trump. But the indictments fired it up again. So now he's got a new lane and a new way to dominate all media coverage, it, which was a gift to him. Emily, I just heard Ted Cruz talking about how when he was running against Trump in 16, the calculation was that Trump got $3 billion in earned media coverage, meaning the, the media just talks about you don't pay for an advertisement because of something you've done. $3 billion. And Ted Cruz was saying, I had $100 million, which was a record-breaking sum that I had won. But it was nothing to buy ads, to get myself out there versus $3 billion. And the indictments are filling that billion-dollar pot up again for Trump. 
Well, and think about that too, because the media coverage is going to be uh, of that three billion dollars in, in earned media coverage. So much of it is adversarial, and for the average Republican voter, they look at adversarial media coverage, and they did before Trump realized this. I mean, Trump tapped into something in ways that no other Republican candidate ever realized, which is that uh, the average Republican voter sees adversarial coverage of you as a good thing. Uh, so, in a Republican presidential primary, to get that much uh, unearned, to, to, to just get that much three billion. I mean, that's incredible to 100 million to your, your competitor. Um, that's putting Trump, pitting him against like the l most distrusted uh, entity, institution mm. uh, in the country Hated. among Republican voters, which is the media. And he understood that. And this happened again for Ron DeSantis um, in that. In, and this is where DeSantis said on Hugh Hewitt's show last week that he should have been doing more corporate media um, last when he announced last year. Uh, that's probably true. But even so, you can simply not compete with how often Trump is put one on one with the, you know, the most hated institution in America for Republican voters. And so Sometimes, you know, Trump does crazy stuff that it warrants extremely uh, scrutiny, it warrants the extreme scrutiny that he gets from the media. Um, a lot of times, as we all know, that is not the case. And so the average Republican voter sees that over and over and over again with Donald Trump every single day. So there's no oxygen for anybody else. And that's where Nikki Haley's lane. It's just... It, it's, it's really, really, really hard to do that math uh, when, you know, nationally we're heading into South Carolina, a state she's down double digits, and then Nevada, we'll get she's to her down one there. Second. Let's, let's pause the Nikki Haley discussion because I will, well, for sure, we're, get, we're getting to that. Um, the, you're, you're right about what you're saying, and it, it does rem remind me, one of the things they obsess over Trump on is his criticisms, right? Like what he says about people. And when we were first getting to know Trump in a, in a political way, I understood that. I mean, as, as you know, I asked him a tough debate question about things he said about women in particular. And um, I mean, now I just think we're used to it. This is what Trump does. He, 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 he talks like that. He means to offend, incite, and not in the legal sense, but like sort of, you know, get people talking about him. And especially if you're an enemy, a political enemy, a media enemy, he, he doesn't pussyfoot around. Like he'll come after you. But he is very quick to bury the hatchet, too, as you saw in those remarks we just heard him from him. Right. Like immediately when DeSantis endorsed him, he stood down on DeSantis. And, you know, it might fire up again if DeSantis says something mean. Like you can you can take it to the bank. Trump and you say something about him that he doesn't like. He hits you. But he, then he's quick to turn the page like that is to his credit. But you're only allowed to get away with that kind of behavior if you're a Democrat, you see. Because what we're getting now is takes like this, hot takes like this one from this MSNBC executive producer. Ron DeSantis just endorsed the man who mocked, attacked, and belittled him for months on end. Okay. I, it wasn't so long ago that I remember the now sitting vice president doing her own bit of a 180 MSNBC. Watch. I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist, but I also believe, and it's personal, and it, I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but 
you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. I want Joe Biden to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> I believe in Joe Biden. I believe in his perspective. We did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. Whoever edited that and adding, we, we did it, Joe. Oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> that was Eduardo, part of our team. <laughs> I love it. It's so, it's absurd. Look, the point is, this is what they do. They do, a sp they always reverse themselves. They get behind the party because they hate the real enemy, politically speaking, more than they hate the primary enemy, right? The, the guy they got to beat to get the nomination. It's just like, it's the, the pretend shock and disgust at DeSantis now endorsing the man who ridiculed him is so phony. Think about what Hillary Clinton said about Bernie Sanders. I mean, it, it's it's such an obvious, easy example. Kamala Harris, such an obvious, easy example. It just doesn't even register because history before Trump is wiped clean in their minds. He is the the worst ever, most unprecedented. So everything around him has to be unprecedented. It's just ridiculous. Yep. You know, Trump, other... They just can't. They, they, they'll hold on to every last word he ever said and use it against anybody who says something nice about him. I mean, I can switch, speak to this personally. I get some morons on Twitter who are like, he said terrible things about you. How can you cover him this way? It's like, hello, I don't because news note to journalists. I don't make my coverage about myself when I'm trying to cover <laughs> the presidential race. I try not to make it all about me and my interactions or my personal feelings about the candidate. Stop being such an idiot. And maybe your coverage would get better, too. Go ahead, Eliana. Yeah, it's it's called professionalism. Um, you know, one minor point about Trump and the primary and voters interest in an alternative. I think part of the disappearing interest in an alternative to Trump had to do with Joe Biden's um, increasing weakness in the polls. I think part of the argument that the Trump challengers had were the general election mm. polls that showed Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley beating Biden and Trump losing. But as Biden got weaker, all the Republican challenger challengers were showed to be able to beat Joe Biden by differing margins. And as a result, the Ron DeSantis's of the world, the Nikki Haley's of the world, were not able to go out on the campaign trail and say, you're going to risk uh, losing to Joe Biden because Trump was showing uh, Trump was running ahead of Biden as well. And I think that was really damaging to the challengers campaigns as Biden got weaker and weaker in the polls. I, that's such a good point. I, I completely agree with that. And Biden just kept start spiraling the drain, which he continues to do. And I think about, you know, yes, Trump has said nasty things about people. He's not a particularly nice enemy, right, to have. Um, try being on the opposite side of Joe Biden. You get audited, right? I mean, I'm sorry. I, there's no proof that he's auditing Clay Travis because Clay is like a, apparently a recent Republican. I didn't know that Clay used to be a Democrat and has voted Democrat for almost every, but he says this himself. Now, suddenly, like the first couple cycles where he's a Republican, he's getting audited. Matt Taibbi, suddenly the IRS is coming after him, knocking on his front door. James O'Keefe does a story or considers doing a story on the Ashley Biden diary. 
the FBI is at his front door, not to mention the silencing that the Biden administration has done of people like uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya and Alex Berenson working with X, try to silence critics who push back on COVID vaccines. It's like, I'd rather be called a nasty name. You know what? I'd rather be called a meatball, <laughs> whatever he was calling Ron DeSantis. That's the thing, Emily. It's like it's one thing to use rhetoric. It's quite another to actually hurt and punish your opponents. The, the very thing they want us to believe Trump is going to do that Biden has spent the last four years doing. It's it's almost like projection. I mean, the same thing they said that Donald Trump was doing in terms of colluding with Russia. I mean, it's just it, they were using the levers of the apparatus of the intelligence apparatus to spy on him. They were, have used it now to censor average Americans. So like Taibbi um, and, and others, but it's also just random people who are tweeting, average Americans who are using this massive platform to express their perspectives. We now know the Biden administration, A, they worked with Twitter to make sure that you couldn't share, the campaign worked with Twitter to make sure that you couldn't share the Hunter Biden story the month before the election. Uh, and then on top of that, they have worked since to uh, censor COVID information, vaccine information. They've worked with these massive corporations in Silicon Valley and in the pharmaceutical industry. This stuff has all happened. And journalists are not interested in that at all. They continue only to be interested in it uh, to the extent that there's some possibility Donald Trump may engage in it as well. And again, this is what they don't understand animates voters. If you look at the results from Iowa, um, Nikki Haley did have people who say they voted for her on the electability question, but she lost big time. Um, Donald Trump won with people who said they voted for him because he cares about people like them. Uh, and that might sound crazy to a journalist in a coastal newsroom. But if you're somebody in the middle of the country who sees this stuff happening over and over and over again, and it was happening before Donald Trump, the censorship over and over and over again, you've seen this for years, then yeah, no matter what mean tweets come out of Donald Trump, you know this, it's baked into the cake. You know, he's a wild man. Some people love that. Some people you know, don't really like it. They can't stand it. But there's no way that they're going to go vote for Biden or a Democrat over that. And inflation is another part of this that we haven't talked about yet. Um, they remember the Trump economy before COVID and they know the Biden economy now. They've seen the gas prices over the course of the Biden administration. They've seen the inflation, the grocery prices. Um, there were just 1,400, an announcement of 1,400 layoffs, EV factory Ford in, in Dearborn, Michigan last week. Who do you think they're going to vote for? Uh, do you think they're going to vote for Biden? No, absolutely not. They don't think he gives a damn about them, frankly. You know, and it's not just it's not just the examples I, I gave Eliana, the ones that Emily just gave. You think about, you know, they're, they're running around now because Trump has said a couple of things like, gee, the way they use the Justice Department against me, gee, you know, if I become president, I could potentially do that against my political opponents. You know, it's Trump saying, careful what you're doing because you're setting a dangerous precedent here. All the newspapers on cue run with, oh, He's threatening to weaponize the Department of Justice. Hello. He's trying to make a point that that's what you are doing, that you have violated norms, that once that line is crossed, will stay crossed. So be careful. I would be so much more persuaded by their horror if they hadn't done what they were doing to Trump, if they hadn't sicked the FBI on parents as domestic terrorists, when the White House coordinated with the DOJ to spy on parents, to call them terrorists, to try to get them in trouble with the law for showing up and speaking over their time limits when they objected to the COVID mania. That happened. People have a memory, right? It's like, I don't give a shit that 
Trump has mean nicknames for Ron DeSantis. I don't want the FBI attacking a dad or the law enforcement attacking a dad who's objecting that his daughter got sexually assaulted by a trans kid or a kid in a skirt in a restroom. That's those are the things that's going to that are going to motivate people like me, I think, to show up at the polls who are I am, I would say, politically more moderate. Right. And one of the things I found so interesting in recent polling, and there are a couple of mainstream voices that have been talking about this, are that the issues that the Biden administration has talked about ad nauseum are simply not the issues that even Democratic voters say are important to them. One is the issue of student loans. It simply does not resonate with center and left of center voters. They don't want to hear about it and they don't really support it. They don't support student loan relief. And the second is Ukraine, another issue that center and left of center voters don't want to hear about as much as they do. Um, They're far more supportive of other uh, Democratic priorities, kitchen table issues. And I think there is an opportunity for Trump and Republicans um, to hammer Biden and the Democrats on that But student loans was one that surprised me. And I think the Biden administration thinks this is a giveaway. It's good. We should talk about it. But, um, you know, Democrats, union members, other people like that, they are not in favor of that sort of a giveaway for um, for people who really are majority higher income earners. The Ukraine situation, and and this is without respect to the merits of it, because I understand the people there are suffering and for sure they have been have had their country invaded. it reminds me of like a bad renovation in a way you you choose, you have to renovate your house. You had termites, you had mold, you had something where you had to do a reno and it, it was a good cause. Like it required doing and you spend the money on it. And then it turns into the never ending money suck, time suck, energy suck. You don't trust the people running it. You feel like they're taking advantage of you. You no longer believe in the mission. You know, the termites are kind of gone but the house is probably too messed up to save. Like I've had these experiences in my own in the past. And I know the feeling where you're like, I got myself involved in something I can't get out of. And I'm so neck deep in it now. I don't even know what to do. (laughs) And I do think a lot of people are feeling this way about Ukraine. Like it's too much and they don't want to hear about it. They don't see a clear landing spot, you know, to get out of it, Emily. It's like they they have empathy for what's happening to, in Ukraine and they get, yes, it is provocative to sort of pull out when we were only half in. What message is it sending to the rest of the world? I get all that. I think a lot of people do. But, I, you know, the message of we have our own problems and maybe we, we're just throwing good money after bad now is leading a lot of people to be like, I don't I don't want to hear about that. I do want to talk about inflation, something that affects my own pocketbook at home, my kids, me. Right. And on that, that's why you see it to your point. Joe Biden now has a 32% approval rating, 33. And Trump's approval rating now, I, I think the latest poll was what, like 42, 44, something like that. And like the post look on Trump, he's looking a lot better, even to the voters who didn't want him. Average Americans react to the lawfare and to the kitchen table issues totally differently than the media understands. It's it's not as though there aren't you know super anti-Trump people. Again, his negatives are really bad. That that exists, uh, but there are a whole lot of voters, uh, average voters, who see what's happening in the world. So we've we've talked about inflation and the cultural stuff and all of that. But also, the more the Biden administration talks about Ukraine, uh, the more voters are reminded that there weren't two hot wars that broke out during Donald Trump's presidency and. 
fact, a lot yeah. of people remember, for example, the Abraham Accords. And that is just such a good illustration, Megan, because Zelensky also kind of, when he shows up to the Senate, he kind of looks like a guy who's telling you the termites aren't gone. And you're like, eh, I think they are because uh, he, he dresses like a contractor. Uh, but it, when he's <laughs> addressing uh, Congress, but all that is to say, um, it's it's not working for the Biden administration. And it's interesting how they cling to it. I think it, it speaks to a little bit of their uh, inability to get out of that bubble. Um, it's interesting that they cling to Ukraine because, again, um, people do American power resonates with voters. So that, that does. And Donald Trump talks that way about American power, too. You know, we're getting screwed over. We shouldn't be getting screwed over. We're the United States, all of that. Um, but Ukraine is a, a, Ukraine and Israel are two issues that have exploded under the Biden presidency that were totally different under the Trump presidency. And it's not going to uh, hit with voters in the same way that the Beltway thinks it does, that Joe Biden is out there, you know, bravely uh, wrapping himself in the Ukrainian flag. That doesn't work uh, with someone in Kansas who sees their money going to all kinds of different woke stuff for the administrative state, then to Ukraine and gas is, you know, maybe you know, three bucks, whatever. It's still very high. Um, and the, the egg price of eggs and milk, all of those things are still pretty high. It's, it's not going to hit the way that the Biden administration thinks it is. And they, ha they have a former president to look at. You got two former presidents now. I mean, one's current, but could be former soon. You got two resumes to look at. You got two, you know, one four-year term, one almost four-year term. How's your life during each one? It's such a simple, I mean, this is all what Ron DeSantis was up against. He's, he doesn't, he hasn't had four years as president and Nikki Haley's now up against it and has been. They don't have four years to point to as president where their decisions affected the lives of all Americans. And the Trump presidency, well, it ended calamitously because of covid was for the most part, the vast majority of it, the country was singing. You know, it was doing very well. It's doing much better than it's doing right now. And people know it. All right, stand by. I do want to get into Nikki Haley and what this means. Um, and we'll do that right after this quick break as the EJs stay with us. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. And I want to say to Ron, he ran a great race. He's been a good governor, and we wish him well. Having said that, it's now one fella and one lady left. For now, I'll leave you with this. May the best woman win. God bless you. Welcome back to The Megan Kelly Show. Here with me today, journalists Emily Jashinsky and Eliana Johnson better known here, at least, as the EJs. So, Eliana, um, how did it come to be that so much of the Republican Party, the Trump wing of the party, hates her, right? She's like a 
a one man and a one. It, it, it's not just like, hey, DeSantis is annoying. We don't like his online crowd. They hate her. How? I think part of it is her hawkish foreign policy views, which are a bit to the right of Trump's, and he has characterized them as such, uh, calling her a globalist. And part of it is um, the embrace of big donors. Big donors have really embraced Nikki Haley, and Trump is able to caricature that as well. And both things, big donors have never been a fan of Donald Trump. And Trump, um, from the moment he dropped on the campaign trail in 2016, said the Iraq war was a mistake. We're not getting involved in these foreign conflicts. Now, what he did in office was slightly different from that. But there's always been a gulf between the rhetorical Trump and the policy Trump. And so I think those two things go a long way toward explaining the animosity towards um uh, the animosity towards Nikki Haley from MAGA world. And I also think they perceive just a, the sort of Nikki Haley's ambition to um, be an ally with Trump um, in order to advance herself and to be an enemy of Trump when it doesn't suit her. And I think it would, you know, there's some talk of Nikki Haley being a, uh, a potential vice presidential nominee. And I I am skeptical that will happen um, for a couple of reasons, but the main one being that I simply think it would be too tempting for Republicans in Washington to shove Trump aside, um, you know, to impeach him at the first um, at the first opportunity and embrace Nikki Haley, someone who they'd be much more comfortable with. And I think MAGA mm -hmm. world perceives that as well. I agree. I think I haven't revealed who I think it's going to be, but I have a guess. It's just an, a guess. That's all. And I think it's Oh, you a can't woman. dangle that out there like that. Megan. I know I've dangled, but I think it's a woman. Can't She's dangle. from the South. And I think it's somebody who um, she could potentially be the future of the party. And I also think it's somebody who would do what he wanted her to do and someone who would pose no threat along the lines you just said. Somebody who would not challenge Trump, who would do what Trump wanted, but would pose zero threat to him along the lines of the ones you just outlined. So there's, and it's not Sarah Huckabee Sanders, which is what a lot of people think based on. So I don't, I don't know why I'm not telling, but I'm not telling. I just, I feel like we're playing guess like, who, like, is she yeah, somebody You're not going to guess it. Her name hasn't been out there as one of the potential picks. I haven't seen it out there. A friend of mine suggested it to me and I started to research her. And the more I researched, the more I was like, this person makes perfect sense. Um, maybe I will tell at some point soon. I don't know why. I just feel like I don't want to upend this woman's life because she hasn't actually been mentioned. And if I say, I think I, it's just going to cause more and more, any, whatever for right now, my team knows who I think it is. And they'll keep me honest when I tell you whether I got it right or wrong. Here it's is Eliana. the thing. Um, he, if he were smart, it would be Eliana. Um, <laughs> DeSantis, Trump has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear or repackaged, uh, warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents, the repackaged forms of warmed over corporatism. I mean, she hit on it just a second ago, Aliana did, Emily, but that's, that is what I hear from a lot of Republicans about Nikki. 
Yeah, uh, and I think that is part of the answer to the question about why she so rankles uh, the MAGA base. And again, um, I do think some people in conservative media are underestimating uh, how marketable Nikki Haleyism is outside these sort of movement conservative circles. I think there is something uh, about her that works in a place like New Hampshire that's, that's not exactly Iowa uh, with right of center voters who, who may uh, be disproportionately moderate compared to the overall Republican primary base. That said, um, I do still think people can sniff out that she's a chameleon in the way a lot of politicians are. Uh, that makes her sometimes a really good politician, uh, that sort of the art of politics. She's she's a very good communicator. And sometimes, uh, as is the case with her approach towards, for example, over the course of her career, transgender issues, uh, that's mm -hmm. problematic for her. She's not great. She hasn't like really been able to defend that very clearly. And it's actually the same thing with her approach to Donald Trump. And that's a lot of voters remember uh, that when Nikki Haley in 2016, when everyone was trying to topple Donald Trump, Nikki Haley was a big part of the Marco Rubio campaign in South Carolina. She was very bitterly anti-Trump. She then became very, very pro-Trump, served in his administration, defended him aggressively. And then when she started running for president, again, kind of did the opposite, went in on his character flaws, et cetera, et cetera. That in and of itself, I mean, that's probably the biggest disagreement between Nikki Haley and Trump. It's not a policy disagreement. It's Trump himself. Uh, that really is something that sticks in voters' minds. It feels like maybe they can't trust her. It feels like maybe she's not being honest, uh, been honest with them along the journey. Uh, and on top of that, she has had problems with some of those policy questions. So I do think that kind of sticks in the craw of a lot of voters. Like it's it's hard to kind of trust somebody uh, who's done that on on one of the big questions because it, it's, it's almost like it's coded that if you were ever anti-Trump, it was like you were with the media, you were with the establishment, you were with the elite. Uh, unless you can have a really good explanation for it. Like Ron DeSantis, I think in his, his departure yesterday, tried to explain it. He tried to say, I had some substantive disagreements over Fauci and COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But with Nikki Haley, it's more personal. Uh, in the meantime, the Republican Party seems to be getting ready to nominate a man who's 77 years old, Eliana. And, um, you know, we've seen how much four, three years can change a man of that age. We have a template for that too in Joe Biden. And Trump was in the news over the weekend for the following gaffe in which he repeatedly referred to Nikki Haley as Nancy Pelosi. Listen to this. By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, they did you know they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything, deleted and destroyed all of it. All of it because of lots of things like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. He does not seem to realize that he he was doing it. Every single one of those he meant as a reference to Nancy Pelosi. And here's Nikki Haley responding. Sat nine. It doesn't mean he's mentally incompetent. It means that when you have someone that is at that age, you were going to see that kind of decline. And look at how fast it declined with Biden. He's not, you know, mumbling his words like Biden, but he is still someone who's going to be 80. And I think that that's the part that you have to look at is, I mean, really, is America going to settle for that? Your thoughts? Well, it looks like the answer is yes. And 
look, Ron DeSantis campaigned on this too. He had a Twitter thread of 100 tweets. This isn't the first time Trump has confused one person with the other. He confused Obama with Hillary Clinton, with Joe Biden, and voters didn't seem to care. And the exact same thing is happening on the Democratic side, where there are challengers to Biden campaigning on his mental decline, and the Democratic primary voters don't seem to want an alternative. Mm. All right, we'll pick it up right there after a quick break. There's so much more to get to. Update on Fannie Willis. Oh, she's in trouble. And the 50-year-old guy swimming with 12-year-olds in Canada. Don't go away. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Let's spend another minute on the VP possibilities because there does seem to be like some angling. Um, (laughs) Tim Scott, who's 57 years old and never married, just announced that he he's getting engaged. I don't mean to be a total cynic, ladies, (laughs) but there's a lot of speculation. The magical announcement came just in time for him to run as Trump's VP potentially like uh, this is you've gotten very cynical when you when you go here but I'd be lying if I said I hadn't seen this all over X uh so what do you make of it because Tim Scott came out not only with that but also listen to how excited Tim Scott is to endorse Trump this is in New Hampshire on Friday way more so than he ever was about his own candidacy listen <laughs> We need a president who understands the American people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. We see a a president who sees Americans as one American family. We need the next president of these United States. President Donald. He's, he's high on love. Uh, what's happening there? Is that like, I can be enthusiastic. I would be a great vice president, but campaigning with my 
my new wife. <laughs> you tell me, Emily. Who is totally real and I very much love. Uh, actually, not, in from all Canada, sincerity, not from Canada. That, not from Canada. Nope. She does go to the school. Uh, I have heard that that is uh, very much a real and, and lovely relationship. So I pray for them that that's true. And uh, I do wonder, to your point, Megan, I, listen, I don't think there was a path for anyone uh, really who wasn't Donald Trump in this election. I do wonder how differently Tim Scott's campaign would have been if we had seen that version of Tim Scott. Maybe we'll see that version of Tim Scott in 2028, or maybe he will be the vice president. But I also think he knows that Donald Trump really loves a showman. Uh, and to, to sort of be able to perform like that at a rally is something Donald Trump really values. He's kind of play the part. We know from reporting that one thing Donald Trump loved about Mike Pence when he picked a VP back in 2016 is that he loved looked like uh, somebody who would play a vice president. There was uh, reporting to that extent. Donald Trump actually really valued that Mike Pence had a Hollywood vice president look to him, whatever that means. Uh, and so obviously, I think Tim Scott knows that. I think everybody who's auditioning for the VP slot knows that. Um, so that's, that's my best guess as to where this version of Tim Scott came from. <laughs> <laughs> He sounds like the let's get ready to rumble guy, doesn't he? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, so maybe it'll be Tim Scott. I don't I don't know. Um, we have to talk about Nikki because stranger things have happened in politics. You know, we talked about this last week a bit where he does need to win for a ver variety of reasons. Trump needs to win, Eliana. And if Nikki Haley can help him win, even though Cormaga does not want her could you see a world in which it happened? He tapped her because she can help him win over those moderate Republicans who are skeptical of him. I can see a world where it happens. Look, with Mike Pence, he brought Mike Pence on because Mike Pence was quote unquote normal Republican. He brought along evangelicals. This time around, Trump doesn't need to bring along the core evangelicals who have very much become a part of the Trump uh, faithful. He needs to bring along independents, centrists, swing voters, and Nikki Haley would help him do that. So there's an electoral case for doing it. The, um, the argument against it is the one that I explained prior, which is that I think Trump would feel uneasy with somebody who is very ambitious um, underneath him, who has contradicted him and who might elbow him, you know, throw an elbow um, every once in a while when she was in that um, vice presidential office and who um, lawmakers on the Hill felt very comfortable talking to and might be eager to impeach Trump and see her elevated to the presidency. So part of me thinks Trump will pick someone who is uh, less normal and, uh, you know, even crazier than he is to make him feel secure in that office. Somebody who Republicans on the Hill would not be eager to impeach him for it. They would think, oh, geez, like we don't want that vice president becoming president. We got to protect him at all costs. I've and got a twist on about your theory. I got a twist on your theory. It's not going to be somebody incompetent or somebody crazy. You know, like th th these people don't like Vivek, for example. If he went with Vivek, they might be like, right. oh, we don't want him. He's talking about, you know, every other, every odd social right. security number gets fired. Like, we're not doing right. that. Um, but, but I do think if he picks somebody inexperienced, relatively inexperienced and young, it could accomplish the same thing. Oh, there's a little tease on what I'm thinking. Here is Trump talking about whether it's going to be Nikki, SOT 7. She was okay, but she was not, she is not presidential timber. Now, when I say that, that probably means that she's not going to be chosen as a vice president. When you say certain things, it sort of takes them out of play, right? I can't say 
She's not of the timber to be if I and then say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to announce that I picked. Do you understand? But that's the way it is. Trump is so funny. I mean, you have to laugh. Emily. He makes you laugh for sure. But he's basically saying it's not Nikki. Who knows whether that's true? They mislead all the time. Ron DeSantis was literally saying, was it Sunday morning? Charles Gasparino at Fox was tweeting out that DeSantis camp says he only canceled these media appearances that he had on Sunday because of the rescheduling and they're still in it and they're in it to South Carolina or whatever it was. And literally within two hours, DeSantis was on X like, I'm out. It's <laughs> so anyway, you can't necessarily take a politician's word, but what do you what do you think of it? Well, no, actually, that's kind of interesting because it goes along with a lot of people say one thing that was a problem with the DeSantis campaign is that he was making uh, a lot of big decisions in a very small group of people. So it makes sense that probably his official campaign team wouldn't be on the same page uh, or wouldn't know exactly what was going on in the inner circle and, and would reassure reporters, oh, no, 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 he's going to South Carolina. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm also curious, is Donald Trump in his mind thinking, what would Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or Vivek have done on January 6th? Uh, because that came to be the huge mm. rift between Mike Pence and Donald Trump. So does he want someone? Um, is presidential timber in his mind somebody <laughs> who is a total loyalist? And again, that's something he really liked about Nikki Haley when she was at the United Nations. She was very loyal to the Trump foreign policy, even though, by the way, the Trump foreign policy departs from her own in ways that she's campaigning on now. Um, he, he really obviously values that loyalty. And we know, for example, that Tim Scott, who was you know, very close to people like Trey Gowdy, who was a part of the Tea Party movement, he's he's got a lot of Pence-like qualities, uh, probably would not have gone along with Donald Trump on January 6th. I think basically everybody knows that. Um, so that's a for Nikki Haley certainly would not have gone along with Donald Trump on January 6th. So is that a litmus test in Trump's mind for who he wants as a vice president? Not because he's anticipating more sort of electoral challenges, but because it's sort of that test of loyalty um, when you're looking for somebody who's who's supposed to be supposed to have your back in, in big constitutional questions like that one was. I think we know where most Republicans would fall on that. That's why I think probably looking outside uh, where a lot of other people are looking is, is more likely where Donald Trump is. All right. Left field possibility. Left field. Don't forget about our other favorite, Doug, Doug Burgum. Yes, <laughs> he has resurfaced in the Veep sweepstakes in part because of a, I don't know if I'd call it bizarre. It's maybe an utterly, entirely predictable exchange he had with Martha McCallum on Fox News last week, where she brought up his past criticism of Trump. And would you look at him dodge and weave all oh, the straight shooting Doug Burgum, the North Dakota governor, everybody's favorite guy. Oh, well, dodging and weaving. Watch it. Sot 12. Did you ever do business with Donald Trump? Uh, I don't think so. Why? I would... I just think that it's important that you're uh, judged by the company you keep. What do you say about that now, Governor? Well, I was just saying I, I endorsed President Trump in 2016. I endorsed him in 2020. Uh, I'm endorsing him now because it's the right decision for our country. But, but you said you wouldn't want to, you're known by the company you keep and you wouldn't want to do business with him. You know, I'm just giving you a chance to, uh, to, to comment on that. Six months, I said only positive things about President Trump. And this one clip comes up. Uh, and, I, and it's funny, nobody in the national media has asked me about what I do business with Joe Biden. Uh, no one's asked. <laughs> <laughs> also, Megan, you're not allowed to do the, the Fargo accent. Um, you're appropriating 
Eliana and Maya's Midwest, upper Midwestern culture. It's the only <laughs> we can do it. We're the only ones who can do the Doug Burgum. Let me hear it. Let's hear it. Lean in. I don't want to do it again, Megan. <laughs> I'm to sound like I'm auditioning for, for Fargo. <laughs> that is how well we talk in Wisconsin, though. I mean, listen, um, there's a reason he won't go back over it. He wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I don't think he's going to be vice president, Eliana, but stranger things have happened. He was very beloved by the donor class, you know, not in a way that Nikki Haley is, but like a lot of billionaires, like apparently um, there were reports Rupert Murdoch was in love with the guy. That's the reason he made it on the Fox News stage or they kind of helped him make it on the Fox News stage. Allegedly, who knows? There's all sorts of rumors out there. Anyway, what do you make of Doug Burgum? I think Doug Burgum wants to get out of North Dakota and has his eye on a cabinet slot. Uh, Secretary of Energy, I think he might be a nice fit there and certainly is gunning for one of those posts. And you know what? I think he'd be a great pick. Yeah, he actually would be good. Uh, I don't know about VP, but he would be great. Who would not be great? You know, I mean, he there is a question about whether he's looking for diversity. So maybe he doesn't want a white guy from North Dakota. Maybe he prefers somebody like Tim Scott or Vivek or Nikki or my secret candidate. But one person he should not consider, not even a little, is Fannie Willis. Number one, she's trying to put him in jail. So it's a no. Number two, she's a Democrat. And number three, her own legal problems grow by the day. Okay, so here's the latest courtesy of the Washington Free Beacon. We've got some news on Fannie Willis to share today. Some unbelievable sound you guys dug up. Love the free beacon. Everybody should be subscribing. Um, so here's the story. Just a quick refresher for people not following it. She's the DA going after Trump in Atlanta. She wants to put him in jail. She has a very large, in, complex RICO case against Trump and 18 others. And one of his co-defendants in that case found out that Fannie is allegedly sleeping with her co-prosecutor, a special prosecutor she brought in by the name of Nathan Wade. Apparently, this lawyer representing this other defendant got a hold of Nathan Wade's divorce proceeding papers, which are ongoing right now, and found out that Fannie Willis is his alleged, quote, paramour, and that not only are they alleging having an affair for months now, the, I think the entire time he's been a special prosecutor on this case, but he's been paying for her to go all over the world to see the world, the Royal Caribbean and other cruise lines and Aruba and Napa. This woman's got an amazing social life when she's not trying to put Trump in jail. And he's been paying for it. This is what the latest shows is that actually we've now got receipts showing he actually did pay. We don't know whether she reimbursed him. I don't know why you would do it that way. But in any event, she hasn't alleged it. She hasn't denied any of this, nor has he. And um, while she keeps trying to say this is all bullshit, it's a political hit. She said it at her church. She won't say it to reporters or she hasn't yet filed a legal pleading. She's going to get dragged in there, in there for a subpoena in this divorce, uh, under a subpoena to give a deposition in this divorce case. And now the media is onto the story and they are breathing down this couple's necks, trying to get those divorce files. Because the one lawyer who saw them, saw them before they were sealed. Well, now they've been sealed. No one can see them. It's this one lawyer, she's in the catbird seat. She's seen it all. And she filed that motion to get Fanny booted off the case, saying this is totally inappropriate for a prosecutor. You don't boink your special prosecutor as you're going after a man <laughs> trying to put him away for, for years. And you certainly don't do it 
when the taxpayers are paying that guy's salary as a special prosecutor, and now you've created a legal incentive for you and for him to keep this case going as long as possible. As the DA, you're supposed to be above it. You're supposed to be pursuing the interests of justice, not the interests of yourself down south in Rio. Uh, that was a double entendre because they kind of did go <laughs> down south in Rio, but that it also means something else. Okay, now I'm rambling. Here's the update. <laughs> Here's the update. The judge in the divorce proceeding just granted the motion to unseal the divorce documents. We're all going to see oh. it all. I know. Her deposition, oh. um, it's not going to go forward tomorrow. It's supposed to go forward tomorrow. He issued a stay, um, but not. He, it doesn't seem like the judge is opposed to I don't know if it's he or she, actually. They, they don't seem to be opposed to deposing Fannie Willis. It's just that Nathan Wade, the, the, the dad, the husband, has not yet been deposed. And so the judge felt that we got to go, we got to hear from Nathan Wade before we can determine whether Fannie Willis has, quote, unique knowledge in the case. One other interesting tidbit, Fannie Willis is arguing that she, this is an attempt to, quote, oppress her. <laughs> okay and ruin her reputation in this divorce case and, you know, the, the attempt to depose her it's, and so on. Um, the, the proceeding there uh, in which she's, they're trying to depose her is likely to go forward, but there is a question because Georgia has no-fault divorce. So the wife of Nathan Wade does not have to prove he cheated on her to get a divorce. And that's one of the things that Fannie Willis said she said it's it's a no fault state, so there'd be no relevance to me testifying in this divorce proceeding, which you know she's basically saying, all right, even if we had an affair, it's not relevant because he doesn't, the ex wife doesn't have to prove he had an affair to get a better divorce settlement. So so the ex wife Jocelyn, I've I've heard it pronounced jo Joycelyn by local reporters, is saying it's I don't I'm not trying to prove an affair. I'm trying to prove. He spent a shit ton of money on you and it relates to his ability to pay support to me. So I get to see all the receipts and all the monies and boy, oh boy, are they ever. So let me see what page is this on in my packet so I can talk to you about a couple of the numbers. Oh, there goes my standby. Can I just add another wrinkle to this scandal, Megan? Please wrinkle, wrinkle away. <laughs> the other wrinkle is that Fannie Willis and the taxpayers are paying Nathan Wade, who she brought in as a special prosecutor, way above the market rate here. So I believe she's paid him upwards of $650,000. Taxpayers yes. have paid him. That is far more than somebody working for the DA's office in Atlanta would be making. And that's the money that has funded these vacations. And we have the credit card receipts, they're out in public and you can see that he has purchased her plane tickets and cruise vacations and this, that and the other. Some of them are already out there. Um, and even if they are not, um, if they don't, if the whole record doesn't um, end up in the court proceeding, Joycelyn or Jocelyn, she is free to leak those to the Washington Free Beacon. We are <laughs> highly interested in seeing all of them. But I think the real scandal here is the misuse of taxpayer dollars for her own benefit. Yeah, That's a lot of room. Hundred percent agree. That's a lot. I mean, this woman, she's a world traveler. She loves her Caribbean vacations. Here is the report uh, in a filing by Nathan Wade's estranged wife, Joycelyn. Um, on October 4th, 2022, Nathan Wade purchased American Airlines tickets to Miami for himself, Fannie Willis, and Clara Bowman, who's believed to be his mother. The mother came along for it. 
The three tickets cost a combined $1,300 plus. That same day, paid more than $2,600 to Royal Caribbean Cruises. Good times. Uh, in October, no, the next day, October 5th, he spent $3,800 with Vacation Express, a company that offers vacation packages and tours. And then later that month, Nathan Wade, Fannie Willis, and the mother-in-law arrived in Miami on October 28th. They traveled, at least the two of them did, Nathan and Fannie, from Miami to Aruba. Good times. Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take ya. Uh, they, they weren't done. I spent $370, he did, at the Hyatt Regency in Aruba. Then, the very next month, who does this? He spent another $3,200 on Norwegian cruise lines. My God, <laughs> they love to cruise. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like retired hungry. they're retired <laughs> when have they had time to look into the trump allegations <laughs> um okay we don't know exactly when or if they took whatever cruise that was but then in april all they do is vacation in april he bought another 817 dollars worth of delta airlines tickets this one to san francisco in both his and fanny willis's names um, we don't know exactly when the flight was taken, but they stayed at the Doubletree Hotel in Napa Valley. It's a whirlwind romance. I mean, they're really, it's obvious. Do we really need to see the unsealed records to know what's going on here? Um, they don't show whether they stayed in the same room. Okay. Or whether <laughs> she reimbursed him. <clears throat> right. Okay. And it was in October of 2023 yeah. that Trump was charged. So... Maybe, Eliana, she's just going to argue, you know, it's just an affair. It's not about, I paid him back. That wasn't, re- he, she's already said I paid him the same as the other special prosecutors. Real questions about that, as outlined in a report by the Daily Caller last week. Not sure we believe that one bit. But let's say she paid him the same. Let's say it wasn't on the taxpayer's dime that they traveled because she reimbursed everything I just said. Maybe it's just an extramarital, it's an affair of the heart, you judgmental ladies. Stop. Get off of Fanny's back. What's wrong with that? Oh, enter the free beacon. Digging up a quote from Fanny Willis in April of 2021 and 2020 when she was running for D.A. She went on a little show called the Patricia Creighton Show and listen to what she said. I certainly will not be choosing people to date that work under me. Let, let me just say that. I think that what citizens are really, really concerned about is if you chose to have inappropriate contact with employees. I mean, there's nothing that I can say on it other than it is distracting. Um, it is certainly inappropriate for the number one law enforcement officer in this state. Um, and it just, it, it really, really saddens me. It's, it is sad. Our heart. Eliana, Eliana, thoughts on Fanny's 180. How quickly things change, you know? And <laughs> what is noteworthy, I think, about what we've seen in the past three weeks or so that these allegations have been out there. A couple of things. One, the um, the person whose attorneys um, brought this these allegations out is a guy by the name of Michael Roman. And I believe that prosecutors actually did not recommend he was like one of the one of these 17 or so defendants that they did not recommend bringing charges the against. Grand jury did not indict. The grand jury did not. Yeah. Right. He was the one they did not recommend. But she, she brought she the charges anyway. Yep. 
And she is reaping the whirlwind for that. And number two, she has not denied this. So she's gone because um, she's gone around the state complaining about this publicly. She's a victim. She has not denied publicly any of these allegations. No, what we saw from her at church last Sunday was they're accusing me of playing the race card. Isn't it them? I think it should be they who played the race card. They, they're the ones who played the race card against your daughter, me, your daughter of Christ. You're the one, Fanny who's been out there telling everybody you will not, the one thing you will not do because the citizens are really, really concerned about it is choosing to have inappropriate contact with employees. It's distracting. It's certainly inappropriate for the number one law officer in the state. It really, really saddens me. Um, it, she went on as I played there. She, I will not be choosing people to date that work under me. Let's just say that maybe what she meant is he'll, he'll work over me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Emily? <laughs> Sorry. Wait till you Maybe wait till we get to the meant. section about the strap on dildos. That comes when we talk about Joy Reid. <laughs> yeah, you're really covering it all today, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally in the news. We, my team was just joking. If you could see their Google searches, the a poor advertisers, my poor staff, like the yeah. ads that they're going to get served now because of Googling these disgusting politicians and what they do. My yeah, show prep nice. was not safe for work. <laughs> no. And literally, it's in the news. It was debated on MSNBC primetime last night. We'll get to yeah. it. But anyway, what do you think, Emily, of Fannie Willis? Because this whole thing matters because this Mike Roman is moving to kick Fannie Willis and her entire office off of the case for a gross conflict of interest and misbehavior. It's a corruption case. And there's very clear evidence here of corruption on her behalf. I mean, you lose the moral high ground that you want to have, whether or not she has it, it's a different question, but you're a, an agent of the state. So you want to have the moral high ground here if you're prosecuting a corruption case uh, and you lose all of that if you are very clearly corrupt. I'm not saying it's apples to apples or on the same scale. People can have that debate, but this is such a, a uh, not even trying to use this as a pun, but I was going to say this is such a naked case of corruption from mm -hmm. the evidence that we have so far. Excuse me if that uh, conjures any unwelcome images. But I also can never get over how cynical it is for people to play the race card in cases where there's really serious evidence. And the media takes that bait from Fannie Willis when, in fact, again, this is something the media should be all over. I mean, it's, it's a clear case of corruption. The evidence is there. It's an affair. It's like textbook uh, journalism. Uh, that the Free Beacon is doing in this case. Uh, but also it's just like, come on. She's, I was having a very normal Sunday and I was actually going through the RICO case yesterday. I, I don't even remember why, but it's such a ridiculous, ridiculous case. And like even people who are RICO experts are looking at it and saying, what you're doing here is, is novel. Uh, then on top of that, Fannie Willis has to wade through the muck while she is facing credible allegations of corruption on her own behalf. Uh, taxpayer money, going to someone with whom she's carrying out an affair and traveling all over the world with, it's a bad look all around. And you can bet Trump and his legal teams are going to be all, legal team is going to be all over it. Yeah. So Fannie Willis is done. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say she's done. She, you know, like the butterball turkeys you cook at Thanksgiving. They've got the little white thing that pops out when they're done. That's her. She's our little butterball at this point. She's done. This is so unethical. Everything she's doing, you have to be above, above any appearance of impropriety as the elected DA. That's what the law requires you. It requires it of lawyers, never mind an elected DA. She is so far below <laughs> that standard. Uh, I don't see how she stays on this case. I, she, she very well could be and should be in trouble with the bar. 
They're actually suggesting she may have crossed, as you just alluded to, a legal line where she could get charged criminally herself. That will require much more an investigation to satisfy at least my standard. But she's crossed ethical lines that will, I believe, get her booted off of this case. She is as done as the Purdue chicken I myself prepared and handled for the first time in my life following a recipe from our pal (laughs) uh, Emily Zanotti last night. My husband took a little video. Here it is. <laughs> so gross. My hands are inside of him. It's disgusting. Look, look, look how gross it is. That was gross. Ew. Look away. <laughs> That's how done she is. Done. My chicken, too, had the little thing pop out. I knew it was ready, though Emily told me to leave it in the oven for 15 more minutes. Um, Don't try that at home because you do have to prepare and and handle raw poultry. And um, even though the end result was absolutely delicious, I have to say it was slightly traumatic. All right. Stand by. Speaking of trauma, boy, do I have a report for you live from our Canadian Bureau. It's really our pals at Rebel News uh, who are going to come on with a stunning update on the case of Melody Wiseheart, the 50-year-old man swimming with 12 and 13-year-olds. That's next, and the EJs stay with us. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal, and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megan Kelly Show on Triumph, a Sirius XM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura, Glenn Beck, Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on SiriusXM at home or anywhere you are. No car required. I do it all the time. I love the SiriusXM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now. Get your first three months for free. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. 
ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. We'll be back with the EJs in just a minute. They're watching and listening to this. But there's new info on the 50-year-old man in Canada who enjoys competing in the pool against and changing in the same dressing room as young, teenage, and prepubescent girls. There was another swim meet this weekend. This time, Nicholas Cepeda, who goes by the name Melody Wiseheart, competed against girls between the ages of 13 and 16. Again, he's 50 and claims that he's a woman. Rebel News reporter, my hero, David Menzies, tried to get inside the meet to report on what is happening, but he was stopped by police. David, it's an honor to meet you. Huge fan of your work. Thank you for being here. Oh, Megan, uh, you're too kind, and thank you for those kind words. And believe me, the uh, feeling is mutual. I'm a huge fan of yours, and you're doing great work. And yes, to your point, we have been chasing Nicholas Apita to get him on record um, regarding how it is a 50-year-old man can identify as a 13-year-old girl. Or should I be calling him under his alias, Melody Wiseheart? I mean, don't ask me how I know this, Megan, but does that name sounds like a uh, a porn actress's name to me. Yeah, but don't ask me there is a pornographic element to this story, is there not? And that is... He not only gets to swim with the 13-year-old girls, but he also gets to change and shower with them. Now, oh God, what happened on. on Saturday, my super producer, Efren, and I, we got up super early to get there before 6 in the morning to see if we could scrum him coming in to the Pan Am Center. And I found out uh, from sources inside the center that Swim Ontario, which is the provincial regulatory body, is doing everything they can to aid and abet him, and beginning with sneaking him in a side entrance that we were not aware of. The Pan Am Centre in Toronto is a huge uh, recreational and swimming um, uh, facility, Megan. But worse than that is the fact that the Toronto Police Service was on hand. They ramped up security. They had something like four police SUVs. I mean, in a part of town, Scarborough, that you've got murder, assault, rape, carjacking. But suddenly, all these police officers are taking in a swim meet. And why? Well, Megan, the reason is to basically redoes the riot act. Um, the police came out at one point with a... Um, they were delivering something to me from the Pan Am Center, which was a trespass notice. Now, I guess in Toronto, um, I, it looks like the cops are not only giving free coffee and donuts to the pro-Hamas demonstrators on cold days. I guess they're doing the courier work for the Pan Am Center. This is and basically, we, we, ha we have a little bit of this, David. I want to show it because yes, you caught this thank on you. camera. Let's watch a little bit in SOT 30. And so we're going to be issuing you a trespass notice. But I'm on a public sidewalk, sir. Um, the Pan Am Center has is, is designated this. It's their property. They want you to move out to the street. I am not on their property. I'm on the sidewalk, and that's uh, a road. That's the King's Highway. So I have not gone in there, and I'm not trespassing. We know there's a 50-year-old man 
uh, going okay. into the change um, room. Hold on, no, no, officer, excuse me. As you guys know, yeah. this is public property here, and so he's going to be allowed to stay here. There was a 50-year-old man yeah, going no into the change room. Of, no, 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 wait a minute. No, no, not coming. Officer, I'm asking you to uphold your oath. He is. This is a crime against Section 173.1 and 173.2 of the Criminal Code, Officer. What are you going to do about the pervert? What are you going to do about a 50-year-old man and be... Thank you. Take care of yourself, all right? Are you serious? Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. And, and they are. What, what criminal violation is there? Yes, I'll read it verbatim, uh, Megan. 173.1 states, quote... Everyone who willfully does an indecent act in a public place in the presence of one or more persons or in any place with intent to insult or offend any person is guilty of an indictable offense and is liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years, end quote. And Megan, Section 173.2 states, quote, an indecent exposure charge under this section of the code means that the person charged is accused of exposing their genital organs to a person under the age of 16. Because this offense involves a minor, it is more serious than an indecent act charge, end quote. Here's the thing, Megan. This, the athletic bodies, at least in Canada, they're saying, uh, we have no choice but to, to uh, cater to uh, these transgender activists because the human rights commissions and the human rights tribunals have told us to do that. But these are non-elected, unaccountable, bureaucratic, woke bodies, Megan. They do not trump the law of the land. They do not trump the criminal code of Canada. But as you saw, it looks like, according to those police, not only are we not going to arrest um, someone who might be a sexual pervert, but we're going to try to shut down journalism and lie about um, public property being private property. This is an outrage. My goodness, if this happened in your country with the First Amendment, I think we're talking about a major lawsuit. Yes. I mean, the the problem with that criminal statute is if you, if you have to prove that Melody has, quote, an, an intent to offend you may not get there. However, this is the problem with so many of these men posing as women, that there is a huge proportion that actually it's not that they're trying to offend anybody. It's that they're trying to get off on the situation, that they find it sexually gratifying to be parading around naked or in the presence of women while dressed as a woman or purporting to be a woman. And it's even worse when for some reason, this person is intentionally choosing very young, underaged girls. This is not, these are not girls on the brink of womanhood. These are 12 and 13 year olds. Not that it would be any better if they were all 17, but it's, this is ridiculous. So my question to you <laughs> is, I, like, what, how is it that the parents, and I understand Canada's more liberal than we are, but how are the parents not literally jumping in the pool and stopping Melody jumping into the locker room, throw, why aren't they out there with you saying, this is an outrage. Thank you. Thank God you showed up, David. Well, I want to address two important points that you've touched upon, Megan. One, um, you know, as my boss, Ezra Levant likes to say, 
If you have the misfortune of going into the woods and you find yourself between bear cubs and mama bear, guess what? You are residing in the most dangerous piece of real estate on planet Earth. You are a goner, uh, even if you meant no harm. Mama bear and papa bear in Canada, I don't know anything about competitive swimming. My boys, when they were young, were in hockey, lacrosse, football, and soccer. But in competitive swimming, uh, it's a matter of either they're so afraid of being, um, you know, cancelled in our cancel culture by the usual suspects, or they actually subscribe to the uh, idiotic mantra of trans women are real women. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing about what are the real intentions, Megan, World Aquatics, to its credit, that's the international governing body for swimming around the world. World Aquatics last year came up with an other category. So if you're transgender, you're not going to the male division, you're not going to the female division, we are going to accommodate you. We're not going to ban you from the pool, but you're going to swim in the other category. Guess what, Megan? At the World Swimming Championships last October in Berlin, Germany, can you imagine how many transgender uh, swimmers showed up for the other category? Well, the word rhymes with hero. That's right, not a single one. So I'm beginning to think, Megan, to your point earlier, is there more to this than just getting in the pool? Is it about changing in a female change room, invading a female safe space, showing your junk, Look at this. showering with them? People say this, this is, is a man. We're diversity, showing a picture. equity, this is a and inclusion. Man. This is a fully grown man who's about to jump into yep. this pool or just did with 13 year olds. Yes. No, yes. these are all important questions to ask. I'm and the fact that there's no age limit. Cause we looked that up too. There is no age limit. The athletes are seated by entry time, regardless of their age. I am praying. I am begging right now. I am publicly begging Riley Gaines. Who's been so amazing on this issue, who is a, an NCAA championship swimmer. Please go to Canada. Please. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Races. And I would love try the to opportunity make the point. to just try to make if there's no limitation, if you can, it doesn't matter how old she can get in and she will crush every girl there and maybe get a conversation about fairness started because they won't allow the way in to be the fact that it's a 50 year old man pretending to be a woman. Maybe they'll get upset when an NCAA championship swimmer who's 29 or whatever she is, 27, gets out there and starts swimming. I love, like, this is insane to me. I do want to show this too, David. You did catch up or you didn't, you chased down uh, Melody yep. Wisehart in the following video, which we have, Sat 31. Finally have a definitive answer to where Nicholas Sapita changes and showers. It is in the girls' dressing room. I saw it myself with my own eyes. He didn't go into the male dressing room. He didn't go into the family dressing room. <laughs> Mr. Sapita, what, what is your deal? Why are you swimming with 13-year-olds? Why are you breaking world aquatic rules? Why are you a coward? Do you have a, do you have a record of sexual perversion? Please protect me from these people. Pr protect us from what? Where are you going? <laughs> Here's the crazy thing, David. No, no one would be bothering, quote, Melody, if Melody decided that he was a she, which isn't really a thing, but whatever, you do you. There's a lot of mental illness out there. Nobody would have bothered him. That, what he That's what is injecting is. himself into a little girl's sacred space 
that they need protection from him. He doesn't need protection from you. You know what? You're right. Uh, I call it transanity. It's the intersection where transgenderism and insanity collide, uh, Megan. But you notice that quote, the only quote he's ever given us was that one. It's very telling, isn't it? Somebody protect me from these people, right? We meant him no harm unless you consider, I don't know, impolite or insensitive questions, a weaponized thing. But that tells me all his life he has been protected. You know what? Uh, I'm a girl. I'm going to wear a dress. Hey, you go, Nicholas. You know what? I'm going to swim with 13-year-old uh, athletes, uh, female athletes, that is, uh, because I identify as a 13-year-old girl. Oh, good for you. You go, girl. All his life, it seems to me, this guy has been mollycoddled into believing that he is a legit 13-year-old girl. And when somebody gives him a little blowback, um, Protect me, protect me from these people. Unbelievable. And Megan, shame if I may. Shame on you, the Orangeville Otters, for allowing this. Shame on you, Swim Ontario, for allowing this. You're facilitating a dangerous situation for minors. Everybody here ought to be brought up on charges. This is outrageous. This is, if God forbid, God forbid, this turned into something where he took advantage of the situation, they'd all get sued. And, and it would be a legit lawsuit. I'm not suggesting that's where this is going. But how do we know? We don't know anything about him. And there's a reason that we have women's only spaces and girls only swimming and girls locker rooms and girls sports. And this just makes a mockery of it all. I'll give you the last word, David. Yeah. Um, one of my last words is, uh, first of all, Orangeville Otters, their swim club, if you can imagine, and I welcome your viewers to go on to their website, they actually have a so-called swimmer's bill of rights and codified in that, maybe because of Nicholas Cepeda, is the right for an adult to identify as a child. I'm not making this up. And, you know, Megan, oh um, please give me insight, given that you are a woman. I know there's some U.S. Supreme Court justices that have difficulty defining a woman. Uh, but nevertheless, where in blue hell is the feminist movement? Because if you believe this accommodation of a 50-year-old man as a 13-year-old girl is an example of diversity, equity, and inclusion, you're dead wrong. This is garden variety misogyny. This is an indirect way of violence against women and girls. It is about invading women's safe spaces. I'm not a parent. I'm not a feminist. I should have no skin in the game. We are doing all we can, including phoning 911 uh, to report that. And when we go back to the police to say, what's the status of the investigation? You know what they say to us, Megan? File a freedom of information request. They won't even be transparent about a 911 call that I myself made. What a horrible state of affairs. Oh, my God. Riley, her, her fiance, I think, is also a championship swimmer. It's a guy. And she said, as talented as Riley was, that her, her, her fiance can crush her in the pool. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just the, the male advantage, the same way the 1,000th rank tennis player could absolutely crush and did Serena and Venus Williams, uh, number one in the world at the time. So we need Riley and her husband to go up there, say that they want to swim with the otters, that they both identify as 13 year. Like, let's make this so absurd that the even the Canadians are going to have to see reason and protect these little girls. I just want to tell the audience before I let you go. David is the same guy. We have time. I'm going to steal an extra 30 seconds. 
who is responsible for this amazing clip. I mean, he's spending a long time trying to stand up for young Canadian children being exploited by this woke ideology. Do you remember when he confronted Kayla Lemieux, who was actually a guy <laughs> wearing these enormous breasts? And he caught, quote, Kayla without the breast that Kayla was telling the New York Post he grew naturally because of his gynomastia. We've got to play the clip. It's hot 33. <laughs> Where are your breasts? Why are you dressing inappropriately in front of children? Can you believe it, folks? Like a cornered rat, he ran for the hills. He didn't even have the guts to come back to his car. He's abandoned it here. He called an Uber, but did you notice? No breasts. But Lemieux, I thought you told the world via the New York Post and the Toronto Sun that those were real mammary glands. God bless you. Thank you for doing this and putting the lie to what these kids are doing, what these people are doing to our kids. All the best to you and Rebel News and Ezra. See you, David. Megan, can I add one last point? I know you're pressed yeah. for time. You know, during the miserable COVID years, we kept hearing from the woke left, follow the science, follow the science, get vaccines, get booster shots, socially distance, wear your face diaper. What happened to the science called biology? Twas ever thus, male and female sports were divided by the sexes, with the exception of equestrian and auto racing, for obvious biological reasons. What happened to the science there? Because right now, if you are transgender, you don't have equal rights, you have special rights, and yeah. women around the world are suffering from it. It is a disgrace. Oh, amen. We'll stay in touch. Let us know what the next chapter is, David. All the best. And now we bring back- A pleasure, Megan. The EJs. Ladies, are you as horrified as I am? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I love the point about where the feminists are, where the pro-science left is. This doesn't fit their narrative, so they're incredibly uncomfortable with it. And even when feminists who are appalled by this, because for example, they fought for Title IX bitterly, uh, even when they come out, they're smeared. I mean, there's just, it, there's like no sense, there's no logic that you can talk into people who are supporting uh, the big-breasted men. It's crazy. Eliana, this is madness. One thing I'm puzzled by is that these are their rules um, and they are enforcing them. Um, why not be proud of them and allow the press in to see how this works and to cover it? Um, why hide it from public view and from public scrutiny and bar any critical uh, coverage of this? That's what troubles me. Uh, if they're proud of this, let everybody see it and judge for themselves. The double standard of we're going to do this, but nobody can see how it really works, that is completely unacceptable. Um, people should see the reality that these people have wrought and be allowed to decide for themselves if they want to participate in this or if they want to oppose it. Um, but not being able to, uh, but but being able to do this and to shield it from public view for the public not to know what is happening, uh, that's, that's unacceptable. So let me just mention this trans golfer who won this women's tournament. Haley Davidson is 30. Um, he was James Scott Davidson. He, uh, in 2015, underwent hormone treatments. In 2021, had the SNP, the gender reassignment surgery, uh, had been playing on scholarship for the men's team at Wilmington University. So obviously was a very talented male golfer who now said he's a woman and is 
sweeping the titles uh, as a woman. May 2021 won his first professional title at the National Women's Golf Association Tour. Um, that was a, that's a pro tournament. The recent win was on January 17th, won the NXXT Women's Classic uh, near Orlando. And that ensures him access to something called the Epson Tour, which is the qualifying tour for the LPGA to go out on the Women's Professional Golf Tournament Tour and um, is winning prize money, is winning titles, um, has won over almost $6,000 over eight events. And this is all allowed because the LPGA Tour removed its requirement for golfers to be female at birth in 2010. So the women just have to sit back and take it, I guess. Is that is that pretty much what we're looking at, Eliana, unless there's some sort of, you know, coordinated walkout? It sounds like it. Um, unless the women participating in these events want to collectively boycott them, um, it does look like the slow destruction of women's sports one at a time. First it was swimming and it looks like now it's golf. And just looking at the New York, you know, some of the pictures that you posted, um, just physically speaking, this does not look like a female golfer um, to me from, from afar. Um, not at all. They like went through total golfer. male puberty. They, they went through male puberty, did everything as a man. Go ahead. Yeah. It's just so obvious. Yeah, it's obvious and it's disturbing. Look at this. This is this is before the transition, obviously, but this is a fully grown man by any standards. And that's why he was doing so well as a male golfer. I mean, there's a re reason I'm not a golfer, but I've done it a couple of times. They have the ladies tees and they have the regular tees, which are for men, because we don't have the strength that men have. Hello. Everybody knows that we have different upper bodies and it can't be undone as far as I know, the surgery only deals with breasts and penises. It doesn't deal with your biceps, your femur, your quads, your hamstrings, your glutes. Hello, he's still got all those advantages. And that brings me to Henry Hanlon, who is in a San Francisco high school and playing for a girls basketball team. These girls made him their captain. They made him their captain. Riley Gaines, speaking of her, she posted this on X over the weekend. He and his female team played against another team over the weekend, beating them 54 to 22. How many of those points did Henry score? 24. 24 of the 54 came from him. He's been competing in girls sports for the last three years, ranked number four in scoring in the North Coast section of California, well beyond this school, with an average of 20.8 points per game. Uh, Riley said, I think he's averaging, I think, 26 points over the last three games. And he also competes in girls volleyball and in girls soccer. All three of these, these sports are sports in which a male athlete could seriously hurt another female. This is not poker, right? This is like, look at this. Look at him jumping the jump bar. Look at him. This is ridiculous, ladies. The women obviously cannot compete against him. Is it any wonder he's the dominant scorer? I'm telling you, like we saw volleyball. That's how this young woman in North Carolina got severely injured with permanent damages. Soccer. My daughter plays soccer. One errant, you know, kick of the ball to somebody's head with the strength of a man's leg behind it. This is 
dangerous. And it's no accident we're seeing this in San Francisco where I'm sure they did make him their captain. There's zero chance of these women standing up. And so like I played high school basketball, 26 points for a girls high school basketball game. If that's your average, that's what a lot of girls high school basketball games, like total scores are around <laughs> like 26 points. Like that's a ton yeah. of points for girls high school basketball. And one of the things I find very interesting about this, Megan, is that when these uh, situations uh kind of go into different niches. So, uh, you know, when people are playing high school sports, it is a huge part of their everyday life. Like they, their families have to commit to these sports. I mean, this is a very high level uh, LGP, LPGA, which now you have to call like the LGBTQIA plus LPGA. It's pretty hard to keep that straight. But uh, these are lifestyles. I mean, these are things people are dedicating their lives to. And so when this happens, even if it's in San Francisco, um, you start to reach a new group of people with the severity of the th of the threat. It doesn't really become real to you. I mean, I saw this happen with track in Connecticut. I know we've all followed the case of those uh, young women who were competing a in high school track state matches. Mm -hmm losing scholarships, losing their opportunity to get parts of their college paid for, all of that. Uh, when that started to happen in a very affluent and liberal blue bubble, you started to see people turn on this. And so as it moves into different sports on the, in these high profile cases, uh, that's where I think a lot of hearts and minds change because it becomes real to you. It's the stakes that you've invested so much of your life in and your child, uh, their health and well-being becomes on the line, not so much in golf. It's more of like a, a different question of, of fairness and all of that. But uh, in these sports where it's so physical, I mean, basketball, taking an elbow to the face with the velocity that a man is able to give you, uh, it's just different than a woman. Um, soccer, all of those things, when it, when it really hits home, even in these deep blue pockets, a lot of hearts and minds do change. That's kind of the silver lining. I hope you're right. Because I mean, of course, they made him their captain. So that's one leadership position no girl is going to get because it's been filled by a man, Eliana because we all know that the best mess, best women are men. They're the best, they're the captains, they're the leaders, they're the dominant scorers, it's great. They can dominate their lane and they can dominate our lane too. Come right in, no problem, it's, all, it's yours for the taking and we'll support you and we'll clap for you and we'll say, see how non-hateful we are all the way to the non-scholarship bank, to the non-leadership bank, to the I feel shitty about myself because I will never be the leading scorer on this team bank. And then when he gets up there and says, thank you so much, because now I don't have to deal with the hate. You know, it's so nice to be surrounded in love. These girls have to go, yeah, I don't, I'm not a hater. I, I guess I'm full of love. I guess I, I can't speak up for myself because people are going to say I'm hateful. I'm a bigot. I live in San Francisco, so I really can't be labeled any of that. And who is there to stand up for these girls? You know, the thing that saddens me about this beyond the scholarships and the team captains and all this is that single sex spaces when kids are in middle school and high school are incredibly valuable. And women's sports have been wonderful for this in providing a, um, a space for girls to develop relationships relationships with each other. They are, it is a social time and learn how to compete against other girls at other schools. And to have that ruined and infiltrated um, with, um, with men, uh, it's just not the same. And those are valuable, whether you win or lose, um, you know, it, it's a val it's valuable to participate in them. And that is being destroyed right now. It's so sad to me. It's so sad. Can you, can you imagine like, not for nothing, but the two like real fights I ever had in my life, physical fights, both happened in the girls' locker room. It's like something out of a John Hughes film. 
But uh, yeah, no, I had actually, <laughs> yeah, I had actual like knockdown drag out fights, like fist fights with two girls over the years. I went to public school. Who instigated? And, uh, well, in the second one, the first one, I don't remember. <laughs> it was actually a friend of mine. It just deteriorated. And before you knew it, we were wailing on each other. But in the second one, it was this woman. Her name was Connie. She was older than I was. And she was growling at me, growling at me on the basketball court. And then we went into the back in the locker room. It, truly, I had on my cheerleading uniform. It was crazy. And she she was growling at me. I was looking at her. And she's, she said, what are you looking at, bitch? And I said, don't call me a bitch. And she was like, bitch. And then we started fighting. And uh, that, that next year, like out rolling of a John around. Hughes movie. It really was. And she she was like, it, it, my school was weird, but she was sort of one of those girls who hung out like with the, the hacky sacks. And they used to call them the dirties. They liked that term. They embraced it. I was a swell. The, the dirties and the swells did not interact, probably for this reason. In any event, she was trying to kick my ass for no reason. I, to this day, I don't know why she was doing this to me. We fought. We rolled around. I held my own. She did not kick my ass. She never bothered me again because I didn't let her push me around. My point is, what if she'd been a dude? <laughs> like <laughs> stuff happens, believe it or not, even between girls in the locker room, tensions run, hot, run high, hormones are flying. If she had been a boy, I would have been beaten and bloody to a pulp. It's not safe for a number of reasons, whether it's the soccer field, the basketball court, the volleyball court, et cetera, or the swimming lanes. It, it's wrong. It's morally wrong. It's unfair. It's unsafe. And by the way, there was another school out there uh, that refused. It was an Islamic college prep high school that refused to play against this school because they had this boy basketball player posing as a woman. And they said um, they also were, were going to decline to share any locker room facilities with this team. Of course, right? There are also potential religious objections to, you know, a 12, 14 year old girl suddenly seeing a penis in the middle of her school day because she wants to play sports. Or feeling it in a basketball game. Someone sets a pick on you. Uh, that's wildly inappropriate, especially any parent would be well within their rights to object to that. And the other thing is the least compassionate thing that we can do for children who are suffering from mental illness, whether it's gender dysphoria or something else, is indulge these fantasies. So it, it hurts all the other kids. There's no question about it. But it is also says something so sick about our culture that's completely normalized to treat these children uh, with hormones in, in many cases, or even just psychologically with the idea that they can, quote, socially transition. Um, it is It is so dangerous. Uh, it, what the, those kids, those young men are putting the girls in danger. There's no question about it. But adults are also putting them in psychological danger, grave psychological danger, and in some cases, grave physical danger because of all of the chemicals they're pumping them with. It's just all around. It is so sad and such a telling thing about our culture. Yeah, these parents need to stand up. They need to not think about name calling, and but need to think about the safety of, and well-being of their own children. We're not doing these trans kids any favors either way, either. They're not, there's just a thing in my view as a trans kid. It's not a thing. It's, it's kids who have suffered mentally and been lured into this damaging ideology that society is now foisted upon them as a, as a really cool available option. And society doesn't have to have their arms harvested to create a phallus that no one will ever believe is real or create a huge gaping wound in the crotch of a boy after his penis is chopped off which as my guest uh, Billboard Chris is pointing out is actually just a big wound 
that has to be kept open for the rest of that boy's life by artificial means. It's sick. Okay, moving on. We mentioned the dildo. (laughs) There's a reason we mentioned the D word, and that is it came up on Joy Reid's show when Moms for Liberties, Tiffany Justice, to her credit, went on with Joy Reid. The the subject was all the evil book banning that they're doing in Florida, thanks in part to people like Ron DeSantis and people like Tiffany, who, through Moms for Liberty, is pushing to get these books not out of Florida, not out of libraries, not out of Amazon, not out of bookstores, but out of K through 12 school libraries. That's it. And it led to, in part, the following exchange. Listen to this. What is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award-winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue isn't oh. appropriate for students to read? What, what is your expertise? A, what a tragic story of a young man who's annually raped by his adult family member. So mm-hmm. you have incest, rape, pedophilia. In what context is a strap-on dildo acceptable for public school? Just, let, I mean, that's my question mm-hmm. to you. As you are not an expert. In this book, I don't or, have to be an expert no, 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 to know that those aren't one appropriate moment, for public school. I mean, this come on, let's book get real. is a full context story, as you said, of the author's experience. Right. What is your right to tell a parent who wants their child, who might feel seen by this story, why oh don't they gosh. have the right? Why don't they have the right as a parent to say, my child can have access to this book? If a child feels seen by this story, that means that they have been. Uh, the victim of a predator. That means that they have either been raped by a family member, or the child feels seen by this story. What I'm saying, you're now making assumptions. No, no, no. But if a child has been raped, we should do a lot better than put a book on the library Now you're literally creating a story behind a child that you don't know. The whole thing is so frustrating. Joy Reid, whenever Tiffany scores a point, Joy Reid tries to interrupt her and shut her down. That's her method of arguing. But Tiffany was so, I mean, Eliana, seriously, like what's your expertise to, to make the point that a a book about strap on dildos or pedophilia or anal rape by a family member doesn't belong in K through 12 libraries and schools. Right. And you don't need expertise to know what's appropriate or not appropriate uh, content for your children to have the stamp of approval of their schools by being in the school library. And the argument about banning books is such a red herring in that if parents proactively want their children exposed to these things, they're within their rights to purchase these books for their kids or to go get them from the public libraries um, and to talk with their children's about children about these things and to expose their children to these books. Um, but to have them in the school library for perusal um, of children without the consent of their parents is not okay. And that is what the objection is to by many, many parents. There are tons, tons of academic expert articles and books, Emily, about the damage done to children in being exposed to content like that too soon. And most of us are pretty vigilant, most good parents, pretty vigilant about making sure our children don't have access to that kind of thing. We put blocks on their phones if they have phones. You you know, we don't, whatever, you're making sure the family computer is in a room where the the children, you can see the child, right? Like all the things. And the last thing you want to think is when you send them to school, that's when they're most dangerous. That's when they're most exposed to stories about anal rape and strap on dildos. And that's another book. Like what? I don't know what Joy Reid is thinking. I don't want to know about Joy Reid's weird sexual predilections or what she thinks is is okay content for minors. 
but it's not the same as what I think. And if she wants to expose her kid to that stuff, she can go right ahead and do it on her own time and her own dime, not on my taxpayer money, when my kid might be sitting right next to her kid reading a nice book about love, about bullies, about history, right? It's absurd to pretend it's a ban because you can't get it in your school library. But of course, Megan, you're not an expert. <laughs> I mean, it's just like her, her argument crumbled on her own show. I mean, it was incredible. Tiffany from Moms for Liberty did just an incredibly deft job at knocking everything down while not seeming at all to be unlikable. Like she was sane, rational reason. She didn't seem like a crazy extremist that wanted to ban, uh, you know, Harper Lee or anything like that. She did such a great job. And I think also that just speaks to the weakness of Joy Reid's argument that every time she brought up a book ban, Tiffany from Monster Liberty was like, oh, okay, well, you know, there are some websites that are banned. Are you, are you saying that everybody who's banned different websites at public schools is a website banner? No, of course course you're not. You don't allow porn websites to be accessible on these computers. It doesn't make you a censor or a website banner. It just makes you somebody who's exercising normal judgment about what's right for children. You don't need to be an expert to say that children should not be exposed to pornography. And when PEN America did their calculations about the most banned book uh, in America, it's actually so it's so funny that they proudly boasted it was genderqueer. And it's like you just made the argument for your opponent perfectly most of That's these bands the with a strap been, on yeah most of these bands have been targeting books the illustrations in that book i think a lot of parents have seen them by now because it has been a huge topic of conversation they're outrageous they're insane there's no way the vast majority of parents want their kids to have access to that and so pen america by yeah, acting like these books are such victims of censorship just does the argument for everybody the vast majority of these bands are targeting obviously inappropriate books that you don't have to have any sort of political uh, allegiance to one side or the other to look at that and say, okay, well, if that's a ban, then us not keeping Hustler in the school library is a ban too. Right. Why don't we just open up the internet to porn, to, you know, OnlyFans? Uh, you Someone know, might feel seen by gang it. rape. Yeah, let's right. show them gang might, rape. They might feel you seen. Never know. So, yeah. Right. So, something terrible might have happened to one of these girls. Let's just, let's play it up. Let's let, let's let all the students see it. This is absurd. I mean, why do we have ratings on movies then? Why, why don't we just let the kids go see everything? I'm going to take my, you know, my, my four-year-old nephew to the Omen. Let's see it. Let's go see all the, all the stuff. Uh, it, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's, let's show it all. Like, it's absurd. We, we understand as a society, without quote, expertise, her expertise are the ones, those are the people who are telling us that we need to have masks on while we're inside our cars by ourselves uh, today. Uh, those are the experts she wants us to listen to. But wh why? Why you don't need expertise to understand this is damaging to children. Young children should not have access to this. High school children should not have just be meandering by the bookcase and see some kid looking at strap-on dildo into another man's. You know what? Like this is absurd. School is not the place for this. Anybody understands that with a brain, which is why Joy doesn't get it. Okay. Last but certainly not least, there was another person over on MSNBC. She was. She was rather controversial. She was obsessed, just like Joy, with the color of people's skin. Her name was Tiffany Cross, and she got the boot. And when she got booted, they said she'd been spending all this money. She'd been making like $200,000 a year, but she'd allegedly been just racking up hotel bills of like $200,000 or $100,000. Anyway, 
Tiffany is no longer even. She was too radical in her race essentialism, even for MSNBC, which still employs Joy Reid and lets Ellie Mistal, who might be the most racist public commentator in any forum on MSNBC all the time. Um, they got rid of Tiffany. Now, Tiffany has launched a podcast and she wanted, I guess, up the, the quality, the caliber of her commentary. So she partnered with Andrew Gillum, the guy who lost the gubernatorial race to Ron DeSantis in 18 because he was caught in a hotel room with uh, a gay, uh, like paid for lover and was on meth and got charged on a bunch of felony counts. The jury was hung. Okay. That's a win. I think he had a copy of Genderqueer <laughs> in the hotel room. You probably did. So that's her new partner. Okay. They're coming back. And apparently this reporter, Angela Rye, who was over on CNN for a time, has also been looped into this nightmare. We pulled just for fun the little pledge that they're all taking at the top of their new podcast. Take a listen to it. And it's called Native Land. Is that what it's called? Native Land. Native, which I think, which I think is cultural appropriation. I don't think you're allowed to say that. You are not the natives. Um, but here's how they open this monstrosity. I okay. do solemnly swear. I, I do, do solemnly, solemnly swear a affirm. lot. Really? Already? <laughs> swear. Dang, rebels. I do solemnly swear. I do, I do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the role. That I, I will faithfully execute, execute the, the responsibility. The role. The role. role. Just say it with I us, Andrew. Like, it. you're messing I didn't up. Hear okay. It. Of co host of Native Land Pod. Of co host of Native Land Pod. And, and will, to the best of my ability, and will, and will to the best, to the best of, my of my ability, preserve, preserve, protect, protect, and defend, and defend, defend the truth. The, the truth, truth and the safe space the culture deserves. And the, and the safe, safe space the culture space deserves. The culture deserves. Yeah, Is it over? They're like the racist goonies. <laughs> the drivel. It's like so amazing. You know, so, so rare that people end up in the company they deserve. But I think we can say that with, with these three. It's a good point. It's a really good point. I was picturing together. them like in a treehouse. Podcast with Andrew so, Gillum. Who? would listen to this. So I guess what happened, the reason I know that this thing exists is only because one of the co-hosts, Angela Rye, who I guess used to be on CNN. I don't know any of these people. I didn't, I didn't, I, the Tiffany lady was saying a bunch of ra crazy racial shit every day on MSNBC. So occasionally we covered her. Angela, I don't know. Gillum. Yeah. He ran for office and was disgraced, but this gal, Angela Rye comes out with allegations against Chris Cuomo. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth, like Me Too type allegations. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not a Cuomo fan. It's not personal. I mean, it kind of is personal. It's like he's been attacking my friend Janice Dean for years. Janice Dean's family, they were killed during the COVID thing, I believe as a result of Andrew Cuomo's orders, sending COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. Both of her in-laws were killed. She's been very, there's been no accountability. And the Cuomos came for Janice. And there's allegedly a correspondence in which Cuomo refers to her as the weather bitch, and they coordinate how they can take her down. That's just one of the reasons. But Cuomo has been generally insufferable. It's separate and apart from that. We can go down the list. His lies about COVID, his fake acting coming out of the basement, his weird muscle vis videos. All right, whatever. I mean, it's fine. Um, so I was inclined to listen to Angela. Like, what, what did you do? What did he do? I've even had a Cuomo accuser on this show. One of his uh, producers at ABC came on and told a disturbing story about him grabbing her ass in the middle of this, whatever. I've got to tell you, 
this woman talks about what happened like it it was like a rape. I mean, it she talks about this like it was a 10 out of 10 on the list of sins. And what did he do? You'll hear it. What did he do? She posted on the Internet a crotch shot of herself in a sparkly gold bikini. Look at this. This is not just a bikini shot. It's a crotch shot. And apparently he sent her a text calling her tinsel crotch. That's it. That's what led to this. Listen. It all began on New Year's Day when I posted a picture of myself looking forward to the new year in a gold sequin bikini on Instagram. Cuomo screenshot the image and said, Happy New Year, tinsel crotch. <laughs> Stunned, I read and reread the message a dozen times trying to understand. If I somehow brought this on myself, since whatever you post on social is fair game, right? I teared up like now. Then the tears flowed. I felt like the safest place I had on a show on CNN had been compromised. As I think about this, it feels so fucking small compared to what other women in the workplace experience. But I was afraid to speak up. Between New Year's and my follow-up, an insurrection happened on Capitol Hill where I feared I would lose loved ones. And as someone who is known for being courageous, I cannot begin to tell you how much I felt like we even now feel like a coward. We had a great rapport and I was worried about damaging a friendship and a working relationship that you actually damaged. I apologize for knowing how to be courageous, courageous, but not acting on it. I know that I'm forever changed, not just by this, by what, by the journey it took me to get here, to be able to speak out and for you all to hold this space. I am so grateful. Thank you. She's forever changed by his one text saying tinsel crotch after she posted <laughs> a picture of her crotch with what appears to be tinsel on it. I mean, it, honestly, it's like dangly gold stuff. I, I'm sorry, but this is me too has jumped the shark. It is just, I, I never thought I'd say the following words. I'm on Chris Cuomo's side. I, I can't believe the fake drama around this. She actually goes on to suggest he had her fired from CNN when she admits actually a week later, he pitched a prominent regular role for her on his primetime show. CNN let her go within, it looks like, 10 days of him doing that. And somehow that's his fault, too. This is ridiculous. And I believe an obvious attempt to just call attention to this podcast from hell. What do you guys think? Oh, completely agree. And it's another example of like the cynical weaponization of identity politics that Tiffany Cross did too. Like her show just sucked. People didn't like it. That's why her show got kicked off. Because to your point, Megan, they still have Ellie Mistal on. They have Joy Reid on. People who are just as racially radical as Tiffany Cross. But people who, for whatever reason, uh, MSNBC viewers will tune into it. Greater numbers. Uh, so weaponizing, I think, what is a really serious thing, um, it, it, like which is sexual abuse in the workplace for a podcast again very cynical and I was going to sarcastically say like oh I'm praying for her but honest to God if somebody can bring themselves to tears over getting a text message from a guy saying happy new year tinsel crotch even if they're boss even if they're your boss and if you're the one who posted the damn picture if you can bring yourself to tears over that you do need prayers because something is seriously seriously wrong with you yes she goes on for like 12 minutes Eliana if you hear the whole thing 
she paints herself like she's Joan of Arc coming forward with this tale of me too. Whoa. With the, the, I'm like, literally, I'm like, what did he do? What did he, I'm open-minded. You know, I've been one of his biggest critics. Bring it. Tell me I'm open-minded to me too stories too. I don't, I'm not one of those knee jerk. It didn't, this is absurd. I say this through gritted teeth, but I'm, I, I think I'm team Chris on this. Yes. <laughs> he, he did it. She did the impossible. She got us all siding She's with Chris performed Cuomo. a miracle. She's performed a miracle. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. Thanks to all the tinsel. Unanimous verdict. <laughs> yeah. Ladies, she was like her wall though. Thanks so much. Thanks for sticking around extra Thanks, long Maggie. today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Megan. All right. And thanks to all of you uh, for joining us today and tomorrow. Be sure to tune in because it's NR Day, National Review Day on the show. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.